Let's bow in prayer. Father, we come to your word and we want to be people who revere your word in such a way that we are eager to take it in, that we are willing that it would pierce through to the very heart of us, that we would desire to see your word take root in our lives, that it would show in how we live from day to day, that it wouldn't just be a Sunday sort of thing, but that your word would guide our every thought and action. And so, Father, we come to your word humbly right now and ask that you would speak to us through your word and shape our lives by it for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, December 22nd is coming. December 22nd is a day that I look forward to every year. It's, I don't know, I don't know whose birthday it might be. Nobody I know. Anybody got a birthday on December 22nd in here? It's just not my anniversary. Uh, there's nobody in my family that, that has any special connection to that date. But December 22nd is, uh, is a date I look forward to every year because it is the beginning of days getting longer. Daylight taking over. December 21st is the shortest day of the year. But on December 22nd, the sun comes up a full minute earlier than it did on December 21st. I get depressed on June 22nd every year because I know that the daylight is contracting all the way down to December 21st. But December 22nd, it begins to expand once again until it's at its fullness um, in June. And I, I share that with you just because this theme of darkness and light uh, pervades not only John's gospel, but John's letters. And we're going to be looking at John's gospel today. And so uh, I would invite you to grab a Bible and uh, turn to John chapter 1. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. I believe that's page 886 in the Bibles that are there in the chairs. Um, but uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, uh, was read to us uh, earlier during the Advent uh, candle reading, but let's just look at it again. Wonderful, wonderful words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We've been talking this Advent season about the lights of Christmas, and uh, it's 
a fascinating thing, uh, not only to see our neighborhoods uh, being increasingly uh, dominated by colored lights and, and, and other twinkling lights in, in the yards, but it's also a wonderful thing to look in Scripture and see the references to light surrounding the birth narratives of Jesus. We looked two weeks ago at Luke's gospel. Luke tells of the glory of God that shone like a blinding light to the shepherds on a hillside long ago, working third shift on their sheep farm. Last week, we looked at Matthew's gospel, and we saw that Matthew tells of the star of Bethlehem that guided the Magi from their own home country to the place where they found Jesus and worshipped. And today, we're going to look at John's gospel. John, in both his gospel and his letters, has a lot to say about darkness and light. He reminds us, for instance, that it was at night that Nicodemus came to Jesus. And we think, okay, so Nicodemus didn't want to be seen, so he came at night, but I think there's more to it than that. I think Nicodemus came in the darkness of his own understanding and learned that he needed to be born again. It's John that tells us that when Judas went out to betray Jesus, it was night. Did you ever notice that in that narrative? And it was night. Speaking of the darkness of this one who turned willingly from the light of the world to embrace the darkness. And all through John's writings, we see this contrast of darkness and light. From the perspective of believers, I think things were looking really dark when John wrote his gospel. Think about the, the cultural context, the setting for the writing of John's gospel. John likely wrote his gospel during the reign of Nero, who enjoyed putting Christians to death for their faith. Uh, Nero would send them out unarmed to face the lions in the Colosseum, but he also dipped Christians in tar and hung them in his gardens to use them as torches. And John had watched this persecution of his fellow Christians grow. Jesus' followers were ignored at first, but when Christianity started to spread, Christians were seen as a growing threat. They were seen as a threat by Jews and by Romans as well. Acts chapter 7 records the death of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And the first verse of the next chapter tells that a great persecution broke out against the church the very same day. Acts chapter 12 goes on to record the death of John's brother, James, killed by order of Herod. James would be the first of the original 12 apostles to die for their faith, and the rest would all die violent deaths, except for John, who would outlive them all, but die in exile on the island of Patmos. And I wonder, by the time John was exiled to Patmos, how many fellow believers he had learned had been martyred for their faith. He had to know that following Christ would be costly for him as well. Now, why do I mention all that? Well, because while John doesn't 
tell us specifically the Christmas story the way the other gospel writers do. John has some very significant things to say about the coming of Christ. And we need to understand the context of his writing these things. It was a time of great darkness. And yet in that time of darkness, John writes about the coming of Christ as the one who shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not been able to overcome it. It was as though John were telling those who would follow Jesus, expect opposition, anticipate victory. And if you want the sermon in a sentence, that's it. Expect opposition, anticipate victory. I'd like for us to zero in on verse 5 of John chapter 1. We heard it read a little bit ago. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, I've told you before that you can learn Greek, but uh, looking at different translations is a whole lot cheaper and easier. And so uh, let's look at a few different translations of verse 5 uh, that can give us, I think, uh, some range here of what John is getting across. The NIV puts it this way, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Or the New American says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. J.B. Phillips' translation, the light still shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never put it out. New Living Translation, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Expect opposition, anticipate victory. Let me share just a few observations while that slide is still up. First, about the light itself. Did you notice it's present tense in every translation? The light shines in the darkness. John is writing his letter in a time of great darkness, but he says the light is still shining. The world may be dark, but the light is still shining. Nero may be the emperor, but the light is still shining. The world may reject the message, but the light is still shining. Christians may be dying for their faith, but the light is still shining. And the fact that it's a time of great darkness in the world doesn't diminish the light at all. In fact, the greater the darkness, the more noticeable is the light. You see the Advent candles up here, and uh, the platform is lit. If, if we could turn down the lights on the platform, if we could darken the room somehow, the, the light of these candles would be all the brighter, all the more noticeable. In pitch darkness, they really stand out. I heard a, a speaker once tell a story about taking her daughter to Walmart where she bought her daughter a little flashlight. And the little girl was so excited to turn it on, but in the brightly lit store, it didn't appear to be very powerful. And so she said, Mommy, let's go find some darkness. It's a great thing. It's what flashlights were made for. 
The greater the darkness, the more noticeable the light. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16 says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. In the midst of darkness, we are called upon to shine. And the greater the darkness, the more noticeable is our shining. Now, if you were in charge of the darkness, you'd want to do something about the light, wouldn't you? And that leads us to the second observation. Talked about the light. Let's talk about the darkness for a moment. Look again at the different translations. The word translated overcome in the ESV is a much more powerful word than it seems. Other translations have used the word understood, comprehended, put out, extinguished. The word sometimes is used to get across the idea of understanding something. But the basic meaning is to grasp now, we use that word grasp when we're talking about understanding something, don't we? You know, you're sharing a math concept with your, your son or your daughter, and they, they don't get it. And all of a sudden, the light dawns on them, and they go, oh, I get it now. I, I can grasp that concept. And it's used that way in the Bible. The same word shows up in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, and it says, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Remember the, the whole scene with the sheet coming down out of heaven and these unclean things? And Peter says, no, I can't eat that. And God says, don't call unclean what I have made clean. He was talking about reaching out to Gentiles. And at the end of the whole thing, Peter uses that word. He says, I now Realize, I get it now. I can grasp this. You are not just here to reach the Jews. You're reaching the whole world. But the word is used much more broadly than that even. It goes way beyond the idea of understanding. Listen to this same word and how it is translated in some other situations. Mark chapter 9 verse 18 is one of them. Referring to a demon-possessed boy. The father tells Jesus, whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. It seizes him. Same word. The darkness has not understood it, has not comprehended it, has not seized the light. Or John chapter 8, verse 3. Teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who was caught in adultery. Caught, apprehended. Or John chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus told them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Overtake you. One last one. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Grasp the prize. The common denominator in all of these ways of translating that word is grasping something. Now, 
The word comprehend carries uh, the kind of double meaning that I think the Bible is using the word for. It can mean understand, but it's bigger than that. It means to take in. It's not, though, like the darkness is trying to understand the light, right? Satan doesn't want to just understand Jesus. He wants to stop him. Darkness may be trying to understand to some degree, but it's trying to do more. It's trying to take the light in. It's trying to swallow it up. Now, flip back to Revelation chapter 12 that was read a little bit ago. Revelation 12, look at the first five verses. Same author, John writing this. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. The dragon wants to devour the offspring of the woman. Different word, same idea. I see John bringing chapter 1, verse 5 of his gospel into chapter 12 of the Revelation. The darkness wants to take the light in, wants to consume it, wants to devour it. And John tells us that the darkness has not been able to do that to the light of Christ. The light still shines in the darkness, present tense. And the darkness can't take it in. Now, you may say, well, that's kind of interesting, but what's that got to do with us? Let me share some outworkings of that idea. Let's consider three events where John has seen the light shining in the darkness, and the darkness unable, though it try, to take it in. The first is the birth of Jesus. Matthew records an incident commonly known as the slaughter of the innocents. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 to 18, Herod was unhappy to hear about someone who was born king of the Jews. Why? Because Herod was only appointed king of the Jews. If there was a rightful king of the Jews who was born into that position, that was a threat to Herod's little kingdom. And so he ordered the massacre of every male child in Bethlehem, ages two and under. Joseph had been warned in a dream to escape to Egypt, and so he and Mary took Jesus out of that setting. Herod tried to snuff out the light, but the light is still shining. The darkness was unable to take it in. John seems to have that event in mind, the slaughter of the innocents, as he writes Revelation chapter 12. If Satan could have killed Jesus as a baby, Jesus would not have grown up 
to provide salvation for us. Michael Card, one of my favorite Christian vocalists, wrote a song that speaks of this attempt to kill the baby Jesus. You may remember the song called Spirit of the Age. Let me share some lyrics. No way of understanding this sad and painful sign. Whenever Satan rears his head, there comes a tragic time. If he could crush the cradle, then that would stop the cross. He knew that once the light was born, his every hope was lost. And then the song goes on to speak of the final victory that was won by the baby Herod tried to kill. It says this, Soon all the ones who seemed to die for nothing will stand beside the ancient of days. With joy we'll see that infant from a manger come and crush the spirit of the age. So in the end, the light is still shining. The darkness can't overcome it. The second event that John witnessed where the darkness tried to take in the light was at the death of Jesus. During this Christmas season, we need to keep in mind that Jesus didn't just come to identify with us, being born like us, growing up like us, experiencing all of the things that we experience. That's part of why he came, to identify with us in every way. But it's not all of why he came. He came to live a sinless life and to die in our place, to take our sin upon himself so that if we simply put our trust in him, we can be forgiven and have a relationship with God that goes on forever. And I pray that characterizes each one of us here this morning. And if you haven't put your trust in Christ, come talk with me after the service. I would love to talk with you about how you can know that you have a relationship with him that, that has you forgiven, totally embraced by God, and looking forward to being with him forever. In the crucifixion narratives, near the end of each of the four gospels, we're told that darkness came over the whole land at noon the time of day when it should have been brightest out. And if ever there was a picture of darkness taking in the light, it was here. Satan must have been thinking he had the victory he couldn't, have, couldn't get 30-some years sooner. Jesus' followers scattered and hid they locked themselves in buildings, not understanding what had happened, fearing that they could end up crucified themselves. And it looked like the darkness had won. But on Easter Sunday morning, an event took place that transformed the lives of those 11 men and changed them into a fearless group that would stop at nothing to share the message of Christ. Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, there's been some interesting information out in recent years about an artifact called the Shroud of Turin. The Shroud of Turin purports to be the burial cloth of Jesus. Now, I don't know what you think of that. 
We need to be careful uh, with things like that, that we don't end up venerating uh, an artifact and, and looking past uh, something that could simply be an evidence to point us to Jesus. But the shroud does bear some impressive indications that it could be authentic. On that cloth is burned the image of the face of a man. With evidence of having been beaten, having been bleeding from the forehead, having had coins of that day placed over his eyes to keep them closed in burial. And it seems that what created the image on the cloth was a blinding light coming from the face of the man under it. In a flash, the power of God raised Jesus from the dead and gave hope to all who follow him. Resurrection. The light is still shining. The darkness has not been able to take it in. The third event that John witnessed where the darkness tried to take in the light is the persecution of Jesus' followers. The death of the first Christian martyr, Stephen, is recorded in Acts chapter 7. And the first verse of Acts chapter 8 tells us there arose on that day a great persecution against the church at Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, think back in your mind to what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Where did he tell his followers they would become his witnesses? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, begins the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The persecution tried to extinguish the light, but instead it just scattered the light. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Different word, same idea. Satan wants to devour us as believers, but he can't because the light is still shining and the darkness can't take it in. Even in the midst of persecution, then, we have hope. Martin Luther said this, the body they may kill God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Not only that, but the places of greatest persecution have been the places where the church has grown the most. Greater the darkness, the more noticeable the light. Tertullian said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Why is that? It's because in those times, people understand what really matters. When your life is on the line for your faith, and you're willing to give it, people understand that that is what really matters. When you see someone willing to die for his faith, you know that person really believes what it is he says he believes. When you see a hundred people willing to die for their faith, you realize the power of what it is they're trusting. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can't take it in. The light continues to shine 
The cause of Christ continues to advance. The darkness continues to try to snuff it out. But try as it will, the darkness can't win. Are we going to face opposition? Yeah, we will. Will Satan try to discourage us from growing in our relationship with Jesus? You can bet on it. Will he try to discourage us from sharing the love of Christ with others around us? Of course he will. Does he like the idea of, be, of our becoming a church on mission to display the greatness of God? No, he hates it. Be alert. He's going to try to get us off mission. Expect opposition, but anticipate victory. Light is shining. Darkness can't take it in. The gospel is advancing. Be encouraged and shine the light. You'll find some questions for further thought in your program. I hope you'll make use of those uh, throughout this week. Would you bow in prayer with me? Father, thank you for the, the triumphal note that John sounds when he says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot take it in. Father, I pray that we, as lights that Jesus has illuminated, would shine brightly even in the dark times that surround us. And I pray, Father, that our light would be noticeable and that it would be influential and that we would seek to have influence over those around us who are living in darkness and need to know that the light of the world has come. Help us, Father, then, to shine in a way that is helpful and illuminates a path that they can come and walk along with us, trusting in Jesus, the light of the world, whose light will never be extinguished. In his name, amen.